Well, it seems like it's been since last year since I've seen you all. <laughs> There's a good old neat slapper right there, a good old dad joke. Sorry, they're coming hot and fresh. <laughs> but this morning we will be going through John 13, verses 34 and 35. Which, before we go into that, let me just open us up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. We thank you so much uh, that you have uh, gifted us with it. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit as we help to uh, learn more and understand about who you are and what you have commanded of us. And we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so to start us off this morning, I want to open up with a story that those of you with siblings or children or friends can relate to. When my brother and I were younger, when we were about eight or nine years old, my brother is about 15 months older than me. So we were around the same age. We would get into fights, we would push each other around, kick at each other, punch each other, and wrestle each other. Over, like, menial things, like who gets to hold the TV controller and control what's on the TV, or who gets to hold the video game controller. But, you know, things that kids get upset at. Very important things. Well, every time my brother and I would get in a fight with each other, we would get in trouble with our parents. We, would quickly, we quickly learned after a couple times of fighting each other that if we fight in front of our parents, that we would get in trouble. So we, we, we worked it out together. We came up with an agreement that we would never get in a fight with each other in front of our parents. Looking back at it, it was almost comical in the ways that we would silently fight with each other. So we would be on the couch, and our parents would be upstairs, and I would get upset about something that my brother turned on the TV, and I wanted to watch something else on the TV. He wouldn't change the channel, and I got upset that he didn't listen to me. So I punched him in the arm, he punched me back, and we would wrestle about who would watch what's on the TV, and we did this entire exchange at the volume of a whisper. <laughs> So my parents had no idea we were doing it. But now that my brother and I are in our 30s, we don't fight as much anymore. But <laughs> this is just an illustration of how it shows that we have the tendency to fight, bicker, and disagree over menial things. And thankfully, Scripture, Jesus in particular, has a lot to say about this tendency that exists in us all. So let's open the scripture and learn about this new kind of love modeled by Jesus. This new kind of love discussed in detail in the gospel of John and is characterized by selflessness, sacrifice, and forgiveness. And if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to John chapter 13. And in John chapter 13, where the verse is located... It is during the Passover meal that Jesus is having with his disciples. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Then he says that one of his disciples will betray him. And then he tells his, the disciples that he will no longer be with his disciples much longer. 
And then Jesus gives the words, uh, the disciples, the words that we're going to be studying in the passage today. And this is found in verses 34 and 35. It's on the screen as well. And since it's on the screen, let's all join in in reading this together. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Peter, in his passion, in his response to Jesus not being with them, says that he wants to follow Jesus where he is going. And then Jesus says that Peter can't follow him and that Peter will disown him three times. Jesus gives these words as parting words to his disciples, saying, I'm going to be leaving you shortly. Here are my parting words. Here is this new command that I am giving you. And when Jesus says a new command and tells his disciples to love one another, that statement isn't a new command. It has been around for a very long time, roughly 1,300 to 1,400 years before Jesus said this. It was first recorded in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, which states to love your neighbor as yourself. Or the full verse is, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Loving one another is not that much of a change from what the Jewish people have already heard. It is something that they already learned, whether that they have heard it from their parents or whether they heard it from the local synagogue. This is not a new command or a new statement. But what Jesus says next is one of the most difficult commands that is found in the Bible. It is one of the hardest things to do as a follower of Jesus. It is simple. It's a, such a simple teaching that a toddler can understand it. But yet, one of the hardest commands of Jesus. And this is what Jesus says to his disciples. Love one another just as I have loved you. Do you see the difficulty found in that statement? Let me say it again. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Love one another just as I have loved you. The more you learn about who Jesus is, who Jesus is of the Bible, is the more you realize how challenging the statement actually is. Within the Old Covenant, within the statement found in Leviticus, it says, love your neighbor as yourself, which is setting the bar pretty high. It is setting the standard of how we are to love our neighbor or those who are around us. Jesus paraphrases this in a more practical way in Luke chapter 6, verse 31. He says, do to others as you would have them do to you. Right? That's commonly referred to as the golden rule. I've seen many conversations with people that are not Christians, and this is a phrase that they know. And they would agree with the teaching of Jesus and say that this is a wonderful, moralistic teaching, right? 
I wouldn't want someone to call me a name, slap me in the face, or say something bad about me. So I shouldn't do that to other people. It is easy to know what you would want done to you and what you wouldn't want done to you. And this is how you treat other people. The bar or the standard was set at love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus saying, love one another as I have loved you, raises that bar tremendously. The more you learn about the love that Jesus showed us, reveals to us how challenging that statement truly is. So when we use the word love, it can mean so many different things in the English language. And there are different types of love and forms love, forms of love. I can love Mexican food. I, can, I, I love my parents. I love my wife, wife. The word love means different things with a different noun that is in place. The Greek word here that is used is the word agape, which means unconditional, sacrificial love. Unconditional love or this agape type of love is this love that God has for us. God loves us despite our response to him. This is love without a condition, unconditional love. This is the same type of love, this unconditional love that Jesus is calling us to. He is calling us to unconditionally love one another. We are to love one another with an unconditional love. And I'm not sure if you realize this, but that is extremely hard. Loving people with unconditional love is not a natural human tendency. Our natural tendency is to love based on a condition. I only love Chipotle because it tastes good. My love for Chipotle's food is based on it tasting good. There is a condition. If Chipotle decided to change things up and I didn't like the taste anymore, then I would not love Chipotle's food. Conditional love. That's a very trivial example, but our natural human tendency is to treat people based on that way. It is to treat people based on their responses to us. When my wife Allison did an internship in college at a large mainstream pop radio station in our area, and she was meeting with one of the VPs at the radio station, and she asked them advice on how to move forward or how to advance within her career. And the VP's immediate response was to, Use everyone you know shamelessly. Use everyone you know shamelessly. That, that is our society and that is our culture. That is our natural human tendency. Use people that you know shamelessly completely disregard other individuals and use them for what you need them for and move on once you are finished with what they can provide you with and repeat this step with the next person you meet. 
right? So we have this phrase in our society that sums this all up, right? It's called a dog-eat-dog world, and where people are willing to harm other individuals so that they can succeed, right? And I've been talking about this within a workplace or within a career aspect, but it's not just exclusive to that area. This pervades all aspects of human life, our families, our friendships, sports, various hobbies. It's just a natural thing to see. And it's kind of rare to see the opposite. So I remember in the last Winter Olympics, there was a final for a women's ski competition. This was the final run to determine first, second, and third place. And it was the last person that went. They had an amazing run, and they kicked out the person who was in first place, and they moved him back to second place. And the person who had just completed an amazing run was now in first place. And that was the final standings. So these Olympians, they trained their entire lives for these moments. And the competition can be fierce. And the reason why I remember this is because after the person who won first place exited the ski hill, the person who was kicked back to second place immediately went to the person who won first place and congratulated them and gave them a big hug. And they both started crying tears of joy together. That was just an amazing moment to see because I am so used to seeing people in those same scenarios where there's this bitter rivalry between athletes. And you can tell from their interaction that there's not really that much love between those athletes. And it was just encouraging to witness because that was just a small element of sacrificial love. The, second, the person that won second place put their own needs, they put their own desires down and were happy for and they congratulated the person who won first place. I'm just someone who really appreciates good sportsmanship because it, really, because it truly reveals a lot about the person's character. But this is, just a, this is just an example, and it is just a small fraction of the sacrificial love that Jesus exemplifies and calls us to. And it is countercultural within the world that we live in today, in the past, in the present, and in the future. It's, it's always has, it always has existed because it is a sin problem and it's just a natural human tendency and it'll always be a problem until Jesus comes back. So it should not surprise us when we don't see sacrificial love exhibited by people within our society. And as Christians, we are called to love others sacrificially even when it isn't convenient for us. And what I just described, once again, is just one small fraction of the sacrificial love. Jesus says that we are to love one another just as he has loved us. And as you learn more about who Jesus was in the Bible and how much he loved us, you realize the depth of love that Jesus calls us to. So these same words are reiterated by Jesus in John chapter 15 where he tells his disciples to remain in him or to abide in him, and you will bear much fruit. He says a few verses later, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. 
almost identical to what we just read. And then Jesus continues in chapter 15. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. This is the ultimate act of love that someone can show one another, is to lay one's life down for another, for their friend. That is what Jesus did for us on the cross, and we'll be celebrating the gift of communion shortly, where we remember the saving work that Jesus did for us on the cross. But it is in that same sacrificial love that Jesus showed us on the cross that we are to show towards others. We might not be able to do that within our lives, literally lay down our lives for our friends. But the main point of this, the main point of sacrificial love is to put others before yourself. And it's important to clarify the way that we can sacrificially love others is through the love that Christ shows us. The way that we can sacrificially love others is through the love that Christ shows us. We can't do it by ourselves. We can't just muster up enough strength to do it by ourselves. We can't just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and just do it. When we connect with God through prayer, the readings of scripture, worship him in daily devotions and in corporate worship, that fuels us to love one another sacrificially. That fuels us to put another's needs before ours. When we are able to view people the way that Christ views them, that changes our perspective on things. And he empowers us to truly love people sacrificially. And another clarifying point within this, within sacrificial love, is that if you have a family, your family comes first within all these points. From a priority list, first it's God, then is your spouse, and it is your kids, and then everything else comes after that. This is a biblical concept we could see in 1 Timothy 3 when he's giving instructions for the biblical leadership to the elders, saying, Paul says that they need to have their households in order and they need to manage their families in a manner that is worthy of respect. If they can't manage their families, how can they manage the church? While this is a qualification for an elder of the church, it is still a principle that every Christian should listen to, that your family is your first ministry. And this is not the only passage in the Bible that talks about it. So I'll use my life as an example. So my priorities are as follows. So first, it's God. Then next is my wife, Allison. And then it is our son, Zephaniah. And then everything else follows after that. That is how my priority list works. And it's a biblical idea. Marriage takes a lot of time and effort. And raising kids takes a lot of time and a lot of effort as well as I'm just learning for the first time within the past year of being a father. But this is my priority list, and those are my first priorities of my ministry. And a point I want to draw out about sacrificial love as well is that your family should never be in competition with your, or that your family should never be in competition with uh, your ministry. 
If I were to explain this as an example, Allison loves to help out in the music and tech ministry here, and she also helps to love leading a, a le- co-leading a women's Bible study. And we pray every day that Christ would use us to serve him as vessels of, your, of his Holy Spirit. And it is truly a joy to serve in the worship and disciple ministries here and to sacrificially love people together. Now that we have our son Zephaniah, it takes more time and effort to get on the same page with all that we have on in our parenting lives. But praying to God together and asking him to help us align our priorities to honor him and all that we do is the glue that holds our family together. And Zephaniah doesn't have a choice. He'll be memorizing scripture and running sound in the live stream and playing all instruments. As you can see here on the screen, he'll be playing, uh, he'll be mastering all the instruments by the age of three. And as you can see, he's already mastering the piano with Bobby from the Christmas Day service this past week. And he'll be ready to play special music next week. (laughs) That's all. That's all a joke. But as Christians, we are called to forgive. A key part of sacrificial love is the element of forgiveness. And we see that in Colossians 3 as well, is to forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven us. Because we are all sinners, loving others is difficult. We hurt others intentionally, and we also hurt people unintentionally on a daily basis. And right, this is just all the part of the fall. And justification and sanctification are two main concepts here to mention. So justification is Christ's righteousness imputed or given to us through his death on the cross. He took the penalty of our sin on himself on the cross And as soon as we receive Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, God sees us through Christ's righteousness. The blood of his sacrifice covers us and all of our sins when we place our faith in him. And at the same time, those who are justified are followers of Jesus. We're all following a trajectory. And all of our thoughts, words, and actions We are either moving toward God or away from him. This is the process of sanctification, where we grow closer to Jesus and become more like him, right? Back to the passage, John 13, love one another as he loves us. Do you see that connection? At conversion, we express repentance over the sins that we committed against God. And repentance doesn't end at conversion, though. When we come to Christ, repentance comes on a daily, as it becomes a daily action. It's a posture of heart that we should be, that should be as natural to breathing as us, as we live in a humble surrender before a holy God. And as we repent of our own sins, we are then called to forgive those who sin against us. A wonderful quote from Gary Chapman. He's a pastor, counselor, and he's the author of the book, The Five Love Languages. He shares this. Forgiveness is not a feeling. 
It is a commitment. It is a choice to show mercy and to not hold the offense up against the offender. Forgiveness is an expression of love. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It is a commitment. It is a choice to show mercy, to not hold an offense against the offender. Forgiveness is an expression of love. Forgiveness is hard, especially within certain circumstances. But to withhold forgiveness is to hold yourself captive to bitterness and resentment. Forgiveness frees you from bitterness and resentment. And forgiveness frees you from bitterness and resentment towards the person that has committed the offense against you. But forgiveness does not equal trust. Forgiveness and trust are two different things that we can explore at another time. But the short version is that Jesus calls us to forgive offenders for what they have done and not holding the offense against them, which frees us from bitterness and resentment toward them. And trust is something that is earned over time and might never be earned back. But forgiveness can happen immediately. And do you want to know how to bring other people to Jesus and to connect others with God? When it comes to connecting others with God, we sometimes make it more complicated than it needs to be. I think it could be easy to get caught up in how well we articulate the gospel message or scared that we aren't evangelizing enough, or scared to share the message of the gospel. And while those things are important things to think about, one of the best ways to connect others with God, as you can see from the verse, is to love one another. And this is the stipulation that Jesus says in this verse. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If we love one another, then people will know that we are Jesus' disciples because we're displaying that sacrificial love that he showed us. And right now there's that song that's stuck in my head. What is it? Uh, they will know we are Christians by our love by our love, yeah, they'll know we are Christians by our love. That's right. There are plenty of songs that are about this, but that particular one is currently stuck in my head. But yeah, they'll know that we are Christians by our love. And the opposite of this statement is true as well. If we don't love one another with the love that Christ showed us, then those who are not Christians... They will not know that we are Jesus' disciples. If all we do is bicker, complain, and argue about trivial things and harboring these unforgiving hearts, then we are no different to the world. And the people have no idea that we are followers of Jesus, and they'll just perceive us like the rest of the world. And Jesus gives it as a command and says that we are to love one another, that we must love one another. And we're going to be moving into a time of communion shortly. 
which is a time where we get to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. And it's a time to remember and reflect on the greatest gift ever given. Eternal life in and with Jesus Christ, our Lord, and reflect on the sacrificial love that he has shown us. And the more that we look at the standard of love that Jesus sets for us, is the more that we learn how we fall short on our own to accomplish this. And it's the more that we recognize how much we need a Savior. And it shows us our need for his help within our lives. We recognize that we are selfish people and that we are fallen people that are in desperate need of a Savior. And that is only through the work of the Holy Spirit that we can begin to love like Jesus has loved us. But as we head into communion now, just recognizing that we all fall short of loving people to the love of Jesus and the standard that he has set for us, and that we are broken people that are in need of him. But the good news of that is that we don't have a works-based faith, but that Jesus has died for your sins on the cross. And we place, and when we place our faith in him for the works that he has done for us, we celebrate that in communion today. We're going to pass the elements in a moment. And if you're new here with us today, we celebrate communion regularly, just as Jesus instructed. And communion is open to anyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're a visitor here with us today and you profess Jesus as a savior of your life, you're more than welcome to join us in communion today. We take communion to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. Communion is a reminder of our current and our eternal union with Christ. When we partake of the communion elements, that does not save us and it does not make us a Christian, but we are doing this to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross, the forgiveness of sins for those who believe in the sacrifice of Jesus. And before we pass out the elements, let's just take a moment to confess any sins before God that we're holding on to silently. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of forgiveness that is so freely found in your sacrifice on the cross, given so freely for those who call upon your name and trust you as the Savior. We pray that you would help us in where we fall short in loving one another and help us to be disciples that sacrificially love one another, just as you have called us to do and just as you have loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.